To get us started, let me ask you a question, although I don't want you to answer out loud. How many times this week did someone tell you how busy they are? Or another question, how many times did you tell someone this week how busy you are? It seems like everyone today is busy. In fact, it's almost become a badge of honor that shows just how important we are, as if our lives would be trivial or meaningless if we're not busy. But is this really the way we want to be living? So here's another question. If you're busy, who's to blame? Your boss, your spouse, your kids, or is it you? And I mean honestly now. Are you exhausted, dead on your feet, tired because of something that someone else is doing to you? Or is this self-imposed? Now think about it for a moment. How you're spending your time. How many of those activities are voluntary? Or is it your own ambition or drive or addiction to busyness? Or even your own inability to say no? And it's not just adults who are busy. Children are scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They often come home at the end of the day just as tired as we are. Long gone are the days when grade school children spent their afternoons aimlessly wandering the neighborhood, going to the park or friends' houses, inventing games, and setting things on fire. So what are we supposed to do? Because what we're doing doesn't seem sustainable. It can't be good for us, and yet most of us feel powerless to change. Now, before we go much further, let me just tell you that what I'm about to say is as much for me as it is for you, maybe more. Just a week ago, Kathy and I had a serious conversation about how I've let my life get out of control, how I have more to do than I have time to do it, and my work is encroaching into every corner of my life. And it's not just because I'm inefficient. It's because of something much more fundamental. For as long as I can remember, I've tried to pack as much into my days as possible. And I know some of you are incredibly efficient. You've got all sorts of life hacks that allow you to pack 30 hours of activity into 24 hours. I'm not that good, but I have found ways that help me save time and lower the cognitive load by limiting the number of decisions I need to make each day. These habits make me more efficient, allowing me to take on a few more tasks each day than I otherwise could. For example, when I travel, I have a packing list that I typed up long ago that lists out the items that I typically need when I travel. Or Kathy has one. She plans her meals a week or more in advance so she knows what to shop for and doesn't have to think about what we're going to eat each evening. For years, on Sunday evening, I lined up the clothes that I planned to wear each week in the closet so that I didn't have to think each day when I came time to get dressed. A friend of mine heard what I did, and she thought I was nuts. She said, what are you doing? What if you don't feel like wearing the blue shirt with the red sweater? And I had to tell her that since I don't feel clothes, I didn't really have an answer for her. I like routines. I go to bed around the same time each evening, and I get up six days a week at or before 6 a.m. I listen to podcasts and audibles in the car while I run and even while I do the dishes, and I listen at 1.5 speed. Now, just so you know I have my flaws, I'm habitually five minutes late, not because I'm unaware of the time, but because I'm trying to pack one more thing in before I leave, which drives my five-minute early wife nuts. I love it when things work like clockwork. And some of you know that here at City Church, we plan out our worship services to the minute, but things seldom go according to plan. So some items take longer and some a little shorter. But last year we had a service where everything went right. Every element from start to finish started and ended on time in both services. That week in staff meeting, I shared my joy at how it all turned out, but I got nothing back but blank stares 
clearly no one else shared my joy. Now, if you glanced at the program today and saw that our topic is managing our time, you probably thought, I'm going to share ways that you can pack more into each day. And I might be able to do that. Again, I'm probably more efficient than the average bear. And I've read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Four-Hour Work Week, a couple of David Allen books. But being more efficient is not what I want to get at today. With that, I'm going to leave you in suspense and back up for a moment because I want to tell you about the series that we're starting this week. It's called I Could Use Some Help With. As you know, the Bible is an old book. Parts of it have been compiled perhaps more than 3,400 years ago. And yet it has proven remarkably relevant. But we live in a very different world from the one that they did, which means we face challenges the ancient readers of the Bible could never have imagined. There have been times when I wish God would give us just one more book, one that offers guidance around a whole variety of questions I have about life in the modern world. Even better, I'd like an internet-based Biblepedia, constantly updated to address our latest questions. But we don't have either of those. And yet I do believe the Bible speaks to the issues of our day. So during the month of May, we're going to look at a few crucial topics that many of us could use some help with. And today we're going to look at managing our time. And then in the weeks to come, we'll talk about being wise about technology, coping with loneliness, understanding mental illness, looking for insights from the timeless words of the Bible on each of these topics. In some ways, our chronic busyness today is a surprise. Futurists in the 1950s and 60s predicted that with all the labor-saving devices coming online, we'd all be working, say, 20 to 25 hours a week. And yet the average work week in the U.S. has increased by 10%, or nearly 10%, since 1967. And then there are all the leisure time activities and opportunities that compete for our attention that didn't even exist 25 years ago. Binge on Netflix, 1996, the year our youngest, our youngest daughter was born, Netflix didn't even exist. Traveling sports, wasn't around when I was growing up, and now it's a $15 billion industry. 15 billion with a B. Few of us can resist taking advantage of at least some of the opportunities modern life affords. The problem is we're not good at saying no to others. So even though we have microwaves and robot vacuum cleaners and dishwashers and crock plats, all the latest and greatest in labor-saving devices, our days are packed to the gills and busyness takes its toll on us. So what then are we supposed to do? We all feel stressed, exhausted, spiritually drained, with no end in sight. One of the growth groups we have here at City Church is one I'm involved in. It's a group that meets on Friday mornings at 6.30. And yeah, I know it's not for everything. But recently, we've been looking at Mark's biography of Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we looked at a story from Mark chapter 1 that gives us a window into a day in the life of Jesus. Now, Mark begins this by telling us about a time when Jesus went to a synagogue to teach. Here's what he said. He said, The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. But he was interrupted by a man possessed by a demon. Sternly, Mark says, Jesus ordered the spirit to come out of him, and he did. And then Mark continued, The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, at that point, the transition goes where Jesus goes to Peter's house, one of his disciples. And Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, so Jesus went into the room where she was. And it says, he took her hand, 
and helped her up. And Mark tells us the fever left her. Between these two scenes, Jesus ended up capturing everyone's attention. So Mark then tells us that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. Now, after all of these remarkable things that Jesus has done, he's in high demand, and from the looks of it, he worked well into the night. But at some point, he went to bed. And then Mark tells us this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this is not the only time the biographers of Jesus tell us that he pulled away to be with God. It was something he did regularly, often, it appears, early in the morning. We don't know how long he was alone, but eventually his silence was interrupted. And then we're told Simon and his companions went to look for him, And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. For much of Jesus' life, great hordes of people wanted a piece of Jesus. Uh, They demanded his time, his attention, even when it was inconvenient for him. Now, sometimes he pulled away. Other times he engaged. And that's what he does here. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. Now, we're going to leave the story there and look for a few lessons that we can um, from this glimpse into a a day in the life of Jesus. And the first observation we can make is that Jesus was busy. Sometimes we think Jesus was a kind of guru sitting in the corner of a room, meditating and speaking softly in quiet platitudes. But if Jesus were alive today, I think his cell phone would be buzzing constantly with more text messages and emails and phone calls than anyone else. TV stations and reporters would be uh, asking for interviews, and Peter, James, and John would have struggled to keep up with all the requests. And he would have said yes, maybe not so much to the reporters, but to the people who were coming to hear him speak and to be healed. You see, busyness isn't all bad. The alternative to a sort of frenetic craziness that we're trapped in isn't to kick back and live for leisure. Hard work's good. If you're created and ambitious in a good way, you will be busy. You'll find meaningful work that contributes to the flourishing of everyone. So Jesus had just as many demands on his time as we do. But he did two things that I think we can learn from. Two things that can break the grip of the crazy busyness has on us today. And the first thing Jesus did is to put God first. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, Jesus had a habit of going away to be with God even when he was busy. Actually, let me rephrase that. Especially when he was busy. Jesus knew that when the demands on his time were greatest, His need to stay connected to his heavenly Father was most crucial. So he made time alone with God a priority, a non-negotiable. But even though he made this a priority, he didn't live a solitary life. He didn't live like a hermit. He got alone for a time, but then he got right back to work. And the reason for that is that Jesus knew his purpose. That's the second thing we need to understand about him. The text tells us that when his disciples discovered him missing in the morning, they went to look for him. When they found him, they told him, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, well, let us go somewhere else 
to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Again, I believe that Jesus was just as busy as we are. That's the way that his biographers represent his life, maybe even more than us. But he also understood what he was here on earth to do. He knew his main purpose was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now later we'll learn that his mission would lead to death on a cross. But he never let himself get distracted from his true mission and purpose in life. So that's a glimpse into the life of Jesus, or at least a day in the life. But what can we take away from his example? How can we live it out? How can we follow what he did? The first lesson is that busy is okay, but overload is not. Let me explain. Dr. Richard Swenson is a family physician, and he observed that many of his patients were showing signs of what he called overload. And in a book called Margin, he observes that we all have limits, limits in our lives, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, financial limits. So the problem is, is that when we live in overload, when we live well beyond our limits, we end up fatigued, in debt, burned out, depressed. Swinson said in order to make life sustainable, we have to live below our limits, making room for the unexpected, the things we never planned for, and to allow for rest. Swenson's a Christian, and he made an interesting observation. He said that the issue isn't just that we're trying to pack too much into our lives, but that, you know, so that we're so hooked on stranger things we have to finish watching season three or that we can't say no to chairing the next PTO fundraiser. He said our overload has to do with our lack of trust in God. If we really believed God is in charge, then we wouldn't live life as if we were. Just because something needs to be done doesn't mean we need to do it right away or even do it at all, at least personally. The point here is that life is a balance. So we shouldn't be so lazy that we freeload off the willingness of someone else to burn themselves out. But we also need to learn to live within our limits so that we don't end up in the hospital or depressed because we hate our lives. The second lesson we can learn from Jesus is to spend time daily with God. The idea of spending time with God is something that I first learned when I was 12. Now, I had watched my parents do it when I was young, but it was a camp counselor named Phil who shared with me how I could do what Jesus had done and encouraged me to make it a regular habit. Now, almost 50 years later, it's one of the most important disciplines that I have. Generally, I spend about 30 minutes a day, although you can start with as few as 10, just reading a short section from the Bible and praying for your day. I've learned it's best to be in a quiet place, to do it around the same time each day, and to be consistent. And I know this is something that can quickly become a sort of legalism. And if you're a really disciplined person, you can feel proud and look down on others. Or if you're you struggle with discipline. You feel guilty all the time. And by the way, this will look different in different eras of your life. So if you're the mom of an infant, it's not going to look the same as if you are a retiree. But the point is to find something that works. Beginning each day with God will have a profound effect on your life. It has for me, and it will for you. It's like a daily Sabbath, a time to rest and to put God first in your life. The third and final lesson we need to learn is to be effective not just efficient. Be effective, but not just efficient. That's because, just because your life is busy doesn't mean that it's meaningful. God expects us to say no to a whole lot of good things 
so that we can be freed up to say yes to the few things that are most important for us. So how can you discern what's most important? First, identify your responsibilities to others. So let me just give you a couple of examples. If you're married, that includes your spouse, and if you have them, it also includes your children. Although some of you may not be married, may not have children, but you have aging parents, or it might be a good friend going through a personal crisis. What Jesus did is prioritized people, not money, pleasure, or even achievement. He prioritized people. Also, look for any opportunities that you might have to do something good for God. This might be anything from volunteering in your neighborhood to changing a career. Two extremes. The point here is to look for something that God really wants done in our world. Another consideration is to find something that aligns with your gifts, skills, and interests. You know, it's true. Sometimes God asks us to do something hard, something only you can do because there's no one else to do it. But more often, God points us to something that He needs done that we really want to do. Finally, listen to the input of others. Those who know you best often have insights into the sort of things that you may be best at. The hope is that, like Jesus, we'll know exactly what our purpose is and what it isn't. The what it isn't part can be hard because some of you are people pleasers. You like to make others happy, but you discover, as you discover your purpose, the goal is not to be more efficient, but to be more effective at investing your energies into the things that only you can do. And that may mean saying no and disappointing someone. A couple of months ago here at City Church, someone called the office several times to ask to talk to me, and I knew who he was. I knew what he was going to ask me to do. He runs a banquet for pastors every year. And I didn't want to go. And I've met him once. He's a good guy. His organization does some really good things. But I don't really have the time. And so I concluded that what he wanted me to do didn't fit or register on my priority list. So for several weeks, Rob and Kara, Devin, they all helped me dodge him. They'd take messages. I just didn't call him back. And then one day I happened to answer the phone, and it was him on the phone. And while Devin listened in, I did what I should have done weeks before and told him that I wouldn't be going. He was disappointed. He told me so. He may even have been hurt. He may even have judged me for saying no. But I sincerely believe that going would not have been a good use of my time. I learned years ago that every day I leave work undone, and at least once a week I disappoint someone. If it's because I said yes to something I shouldn't have, then it's on me. But if I've gotten, but I've gotten more comfortable over the years at saying no and letting go of the feelings of guilt. Let me summarize this by saying that, that each of us have different gifts. We have different purposes. And just because something needs to be done doesn't mean that we need to do it. But whatever does fit our unique purpose, the thing that God has for us at this moment in time, we should do so with all efficiency. So put God first and do what you can to fulfill His purpose for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time. It's a gift. But it's a gift that we need to use and steward well. Make us wise. Help us to put You first. Help us to understand Your purpose for our lives and to use it efficiently, efficiently as much as we possibly can to Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.